Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. You can be seated. Before we start our time of um, um, in the Word, as we were singing those songs, you know, um, our God's mighty to save and, um, you know, God rescue me. You know, I was just reminded of the, the emphasis we have in our church to pray for our one. And most of you know that Easter is about a month away. And so in a month, um, most churches, um, their attendance almost doubles. We, we average, you know, a little close to 4,000 every weekend in all of our campuses. And so we'll have whatever. We'll probably have 7,000 that weekend. And, you know, a lot of these individuals, last time they came to church, were Christmas, Christmas Eve. And, um, you know, they... Um, a lot of them have religion, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm not being judgmental. It's just a simple reality. We know that to be the fact. And, um, and people, if you invite them to church on Easter weekend or Christmas Eve, they're likely to come. And so I just encourage you to just be praying for your one. Um, again, as we were singing those songs, I'm just reminded um, in our, our own family, um, my, my second son, Philip. Um, there was a season of time that he was wandering away from the Lord, and it was while he was in college, and um, met a girl, fell in love. Her, her name is um, Amanda. Came from a Catholic background. Not that there's anything wrong with Catholic, but she had religion. She did not have a relationship with Christ. She just had a lot, a lot of head knowledge about God, and um, had really had adopted a worldly view of life. That was her philosophy of life, and just lived that way, thought that way. And, you know, as we're getting to know her, you know, she basically said once, I don't ever want to have children. You know, that was just sort of her philosophy of life. And she just had a lot of worldly mindset. And so they get married, and um, almost immediately it was causing problems in our family. Um, Amanda was a bad girl, a mean girl. And so the other um, daughter-in-laws that were a part of our family, they all grew up in church, and they're good, you know, sweet Christian girls, and, um, you know, they'd, um, they'd rub Amanda wrong, and Amanda would just, you know, crucify them and cut them off and just be all mean to them, and it got so bad that my oldest son, Luke, called us up and said, look, Dad, um, for Christmas, we can have time with you, but we, we cannot be, um, have Christmas with Philip and Amanda. It's just the relationship is so fractured. Now, we love our family. We've had this great little Christian family, and everything's awesome. And the next thing you know, our family is tore apart. And it was breaking our heart. What in the world? And Susan and I are just so worried about it. We think about it constantly. And, um, and so, and you've heard me tell this story before, but we just determined, okay, rather than worrying about it all the time, we're going we're to give this to the Lord. Our God is mighty to save. And so we just, every morning, we prayed specifically by name for our kids. We lit a candle for each one of them, and we, we saved the, the matches of each one. Each one, we've got probably a million candles now, that, I mean, um, uh, matches now, because they all represent an individual um, prayer for our kids. And the amazing thing is our God does answer prayer. 
And um, slowly, Amanda starts coming around. She came to a Christmas Eve service. She was saved in a Christmas Eve service. Um, a couple of weeks later, she contacts me and says, you know, I need to get baptized. And I said, yeah, that's right. And so I baptized her, you know. And, of course, they're out of town. And so, you know, we don't have a lot of influence. But, you know, but you see her starting to grow. And we, can, we continue to pray for her and pray for her. And um, we see God changing her heart and her mind and just her views on life. And, and um, next thing you know, she's like, um, you know, Philip and I have been praying about this. We want to start having children. And so here's this girl that said she never wants to have children, right? And so, um, so they start praying about having children. And um, there was probably, I don't know, probably a six-month period of time where, you know, you know they were trying and nothing was happening. And, um, and it was during that time that God really did a really great work in her because it forced her to just deal with all the issues in her heart, her life. And, um, and um, she, um, you know, forgave a lot of people because she came from a broken home and other stuff and forgave a lot of people and re- released a lot of her fears and anxieties. And next thing you know, she gets pregnant. And, um, and so... Um, also, during that time, she contacts my wife, Susan, and she says, I just don't understand. I just really want to hear from God through all this. So Susan and her did a um, Bible study through um, um, about um, Hannah in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel and um, how you know she couldn't have children and how she cried out to God. And it was, it was amazing just as she's grown in that. And, and now um, she... Um, they're at Passion City Church in Atlanta. She teaches the kindergartners. Um, this August, going to have our first grandchild. And I just share all of that to go, if you'd have asked me five years ago, i go, this is the thorn in the flesh. This is the heartache of our life. And now we're like seeing this girl grow and love Jesus and passionate for Jesus and in the word it's just like, our God is mighty to save. Amen? He's mighty to save. Now, I share all that because um, that's what, you know, um, pray for your one is about, you know? And so, I want us all to just pause and pray just for a moment before we jump into the word. And I want you to think about your one. If Again, if if God's put a person on your heart, it may be a family member, maybe a coworker, maybe you know, somebody in your neighborhood, or maybe somebody you don't even know their name yet. Um, Would you just right now just bring them before the Lord? Lord, we acknowledge you are mighty to save. There is no one that is beyond your reach. There is no hard, hard heart that is beyond you softening. There is no sin that's beyond your forgiveness. You are an amazing God. And so, Lord, for each person that's here, for all the individuals that you've placed on our hearts, we bring them before you now. Jesus, you know them. You know them intimately. You know desperately the fears and anxieties and hurts of their heart, but ultimately the need of their soul. And, Lord, I pray that you'd use us, that we would be the light of the world. We would be the salt of the earth. We would shine. We would, 
We would love them into the kingdom. We would invite them. And Lord, we're just going to trust you to save them. Only you can save them. And so, Lord, would you please do that? And so, Lord, the many that are even on our hearts right now, we just lay them before you and believe that you will do your work of salvation. Lord, we love you and trust you to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this is what I want to encourage you to do. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn in them to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, and then do this as well. Inside your, um, your prayer sheets there are, is a Bible study outline where you can follow along and take notes. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you know that we've been studying through the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is one of these, man, just deep, rich, incredible books. And um, for the last five weeks, what we've been doing is we've been studying the, um, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, you see all these incredible godly examples of faith and how they lived in faith before God. And now we have the culmination of that found in Jesus Christ himself who is the ultimate example of faith. And so we're going to study that in Hebrews chapter 12. And from Jesus' life and his faithfulness, we're going to learn how to finish well. We're going to learn how to run this race called the Christian life. Um, A couple of years back, my son John, my third son, asked me to run a 5K with him. And um, as you can look at me, I am not a marathon runner or anything like that. And a 5K is not a marathon, but it's about the best that I could do. And so um, I practiced and I ran and all that kind of stuff for him. And, and, um, and most people that were there were planning on running the, the full marathon that day. And here I am, a sort of out of shape, mid-50s kind of guy. And everybody around me is these younger, skinnier, motivated, highly overachieving running nuts, right? And, um, and so at the beginning of a race, I mean, everybody's talking and laughing, you know, everything's awesome, you know. You start off the race and running just, it's easy, right? It's the pleasure stage of the race Um, because running's fun. The body's loose, blood's flowing, birds are singing, fish are jumping. You know, it's it's awesome, right? That's That's how races start. But then at a certain point, it gets a little tougher. For me, it's probably about 200 yards, okay? <laughs> then suddenly running becomes drudgery, and it's hard, and your lungs are burning, and your side, there's like knives sticking you. And guess what? Nobody's laughing anymore. Nobody's talking. A lot of people stopped running. They're walking, you know, and, um, you know, one guy was throwing up his breakfast. He shouldn't have eaten us. I knew that as soon as I saw it. But here's the deal. Starting a race can be fun, but finishing a race, that's hard. Right? And there's a principle of life. Starting is easy, but finishing takes hard work, right? I I think that's a universal principle. I'll prove it in several ways. Um, Anybody here start a home improvement project before? Anybody still have a home improvement project? (laughs) It's the same hands. It's crazy, isn't it? (laughs) It's easy to start, a little harder to finish, right? Okay, let's just apply this. Anybody married here? Right? I mean, it's, it's easy to get started, and, um, you know, the wedding is awesome, um, honeymoon's awesome, but it gets harder. The race becomes more difficult, right? It's, it's easy to start a race. It's hard to finish a race. Um, how many of you would admit that raising children is harder than conceiving children, right? Right? It's a lot harder, right? Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Conceiving children. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to talk about that. 
we're going to talk about how do you finish this thing, this race, because we are in a marathon called the Christian life. And that's what we find here in Hebrews chapter 12. Look at it, beginning verse 1. God's word says this. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, For the joy that lay before him, that's Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. The writer of Hebrews is saying that the Christian life is a marathon race. It's It's not a sprint, and it's real easy to quit. And so in this passage, he's going to teach us how to not quit. Ever been times in your life where you feel like quitting? I mean, I've shared in the past, there's been times in my life where I felt like quitting, quitting a ministry, quit, quitting, you know, relationships, quitting life. What's going to keep you from not quitting, quitting in the faith, your race of faith? Well, from this passage, I'm going to give you four strategies for finishing what you start for not quitting, okay? And so once you jot them on your outline, the very first one is this. First, you need to run with courage. Run with courage. That means you're going to be encouraged. Uh, the, the first century, this is whenever the book of Hebrews was written, in the very first century um, A.D., I mean, the Romans, they loved their entertainment, loved specifically the games, they loved running, and they would even build these huge stadiums. You can see this picture here. It's one of the huge stadiums. It's a Roman um, Colosseum there. And um, they would have different events, and many times they'd have different running events, and they would race their throngs in that stadium watching the events. That's the idea that the writer of Hebrews had in verse 1. Look at it again. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. In your outline circle, cloud of witnesses. Now, I want you to just imagine that you're in one of those ancient stadiums. But you're not a spectator or a fan. No, you're one of the runners. And in there, you see the throng of fans around you, and they're cheering you on. But then as you take a closer look at their faces, you discover something. Oh, my goodness, these are all my heroes. These are people that, you know what, I admire. These are Olympic winners. These are gold medalists, and they're cheering you on. That is exactly what he's talking about in the spiritual realm. Notice this passage starts off with therefore. We we just studied Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith. For five weeks, we've seen one hero of the faith after another, right? We saw Noah, who by faith was building that boat for 120 years, even though he didn't know what rain was. You've got, you know, Abraham, who stepped out, left his homeland, and Followed God, even though he didn't know where God was leading him. Or you got Moses, who for 40 years was leading the children of Israel in the desert and followed God by faith. Or you got Samson or you know, Rahab or David. And you have all this incredible hall of fame of faith. And Paul says, we're surrounded by their witness. And they're all saying the same thing. Don't quit. Don't give up. God is faithful. You keep pressing on. It's going to be worth it. Please don't give up. But it's not just the Hall of Fame of Faith that you see there. You know, I believe other cloud of witnesses may be, you know, heroes of faith in your own life. Maybe it's a, um, 
a grandparent or a parent or a friend or a teacher, you know, they've gone on to be with the Lord. And they've, they've already finished their race. And their hand is now on your shoulder. And they're saying, it's now your turn. I passed the baton to you. It's now your turn to run the race. It's now your turn. But turn to the person next to you and just say, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. It's your turn. Right? And so don't give up. It's worth it. I remember sharing this with a guy, and he goes, no, they, they wouldn't be cheering for me. They'd probably be booing me. I'm like, why? He said, because I've blown it so many times. I've fallen so many times. I, I've landed on my face so many times. And I go, that is absolutely not true. They're cheering you on. You know how I know that? Ever been in a stadium before, a football stadium, and a player gets hurt, and he lays on the ground, and suddenly it's silence, isn't it? And then what happens? The medics come out, they examine him, maybe they put him you know, on a stretcher, and they carry him out, and what happens? Everybody applauds, right? And it's the loudest applaud of the day. Why? Because they're cheering that fallen person. And that's the way it is. You need to understand, they're cheering you on. They're saying, take courage, take heart, be encouraged, don't quit. They're cheering you on. You have to run with courage. They're cheering you on. Second principle is this. Jot this down. You need to run light. You need to run light. Now, you probably already know this, but in the first century, and, and really the, the, from ancient Greek times to Roman times, the marathon runners, they would run naked. Why? Because they wanted to run light. I mean, here's the picture. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to show you anything. But you go, why would the marathon runners, why would they run naked? Because they're like, you know, no encumbrances. I'm going to run light. Look at it again. Verse 1. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. In your outline, circle, lay aside. He says, you know what? When you're running a race, you're not going to run with one of these on your back, right? A backpack. You go, why would you ever run a race with a backpack on? And yet, that's often what we do. And we, we, we sometimes go, why is this race so hard? I'll tell you why. Because you keep carrying around all this extra weight all the time. And so what the writer of Hebrews does is he actually gives us two things that we carry that we need to lay aside. And I want you to put them on your outline. And I've, I've put them as an application question. Here they are. Number one, what weight needs to be set aside? What weight are you carrying that needs to be set aside? You probably heard this terrible story about this man who went to play golf one early Saturday morning. And um, he was gone all day. Past dinner time, the wife was worried. He comes in late at night. And she goes, where in the world have you been? He goes, I was golfing. She goes, 18 hours? What? what? And she, he goes, well, it was a rough day. It started out amazing. I mean, I was playing golf, and I was playing the best game I ever played in my life. I was at the seventh you know, T, and I was already too, you know, under par. It was the best I ever played. And my partner, Harry, I mean, he had a heart attack, and he died right there. And she goes, oh, that's terrible. And he goes, I know, it was terrible. And so for the rest of the day, it was hit the ball and drag Harry and hit the ball and drag Harry. <laughs> I know, that's terrible. <laughs> the question is, what are you dragging around? What dead weight are you carrying that you need to let go of? See, the devil will sidetrack you, sideline you with these extra weights. 
Like what? Okay, I've got some weights here. I've got some, some rocks that are in this backpack. And you go, okay, um, what may they represent? You know, well, this can just be busyness. It doesn't have to necessarily be sinful. You know, if Satan can't, you know, make you bad, he'll make you busy, right? Or, you know, or it's some worry or fear in what we take tomorrow's issues or next year's. What, what's going to happen about that and that? We, we bring all that weight and we carry it today, you know. For me, it's been insecurity. What are people going to think? And, you know, is it people going to accept that or like that? And you just have these insecurities. You know, maybe, you know, some hurt that you just carry around and you haven't learned to forgive and let go and release the hurt and forgive the person. And, and, and you know, I could go on and on. We, we just have these rocks. We have these things in life that just weigh us down. They're excess baggage that we've got to learn to lay them aside, right? But there's a second thing that he has there. Not only every hindrance, but he also says this. Jot this down. What sin needs to be abandoned? What sin needs to be abandoned? Look at it again. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. That's a real interesting word there, the word ensnare. It's like a trap. It's like your legs get tangled up. Your, your feet get tangled up in something. I mean, can you imagine running a marathon race like this? Look at this picture here. With this guy. Go ahead and do that picture there. Is it up there? Yeah. Do the picture there. It won't go. There we go. Okay, yeah. Can you imagine that suddenly, you know what, you're running a race and um, your shoelaces are tied together. You go, no moron would do that. Right? It doesn't make sense. Your feet get all tangled up. Well, that's the idea here. We are just that moronic when it comes to running the race and living the Christian life. Notice there's a definite article there in the Greek. It is the sin that so easily ensnares us and tangles us. What does that mean? That means there is a specific sin in your life that you so easily give into. Now, your sin's going to be different from my sin, and my sin's going to be different from yours, but I believe that everybody in this room, you have a sin that easily ensnares you. It may be dishonesty. You just have a tendency to lie. Or you may just have a quick temper. Or, or you, you may have pride or selfishness, or laziness, or lust, right? And, and what is he saying? In each one of these situations, he's saying, you've got to lay that aside. Now, I love that he tells you, you've got to lay it aside. Why? Because just like these weights, you've got to say, okay, I've got to put these things down. I've got to get them out of my backpack. Well, it's the same way with sin. I mean, we don't just fall into sin. We choose to sin. That, that sin that so easily entangles us, we don't accidentally do it. We make a choice. I mean, nobody accidentally gets drunk. Nobody accidentally looks at porn. No, it, it is a choice that you make. And just like it's a choice to sin, you have to make a choice to not sin. You have to say, no. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. No, get behind me, Satan. I'm not giving in to that. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to keep carrying this rock, but you know what? I'm not going to keep getting entangled in this sin. Why? Because do you really think 
that you're going to be able to run the race effectively whenever you keep giving in to that sin over and over again. No, it's just going to entangle you. It's going to ensnare you. It's going to keep you. I mean, why do you keep doing the very things that may disqualify you? So when you run the race, you've got to run light. Run with courage. Run light. But then there's a third thing that he tells you to do. Jot this down. You need to run with endurance. Run with endurance. You've got to complete the race that God has before you. You know, in baseball, and baseball season is about to begin again, um, a pitcher who starts a game and pitches the first pitch and pitches all nine innings, every pitch of the entire nine innings or the entire game, if he does that, that's called a complete game, right? One pitcher that's from the first to the end, that's a complete game. Um, last year, Major League Baseball, there were 2,430 baseball games. Only 42 of them were complete games. Now think of that. There's only 42 pitchers in over 2,000 games that started a game and finished a game. And that's very normal today. Why? Because they have the relief pitchers. They got the bullpen. They come in. You get tired. Somebody else takes your place. A hundred years ago? No. When the manager gave you the ball, he expected you to pitch every pitch till the end of the game. That's just the way it was. In fact, the guy who did the most, a guy named you've probably heard of before, Jack Taylor, he threw 187 consecutive complete games. Nowadays, these pitchers make over you know, $20 million a year, and nobody expects them to, you know, to you know, pitch in a complete game. Why? They got relievers in the bullpen, you know. Call somebody else of a relief pitcher. Well, let I me mean, just remind you, there is no bullpen for you, right? There's not. I mean, it'd be really great when I'm preaching, I'm on my third point, I'm starting to slow down. I'm like, bring in somebody from the bullpen. Let's finish strong here, right? There's no bullpen for us. There's not. Look at it again. Verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. I'm not a marathon runner. The marathon runners tell me that a little past the halfway point, you know what? They realize something. We've run halfway. We're very exhausted. But we've, we're only halfway. We've, we've got just as far to go. And they've come to the end of their endurance, and they're just putting one foot in front of the other. It's called hitting the wall. And whenever they hit the wall, they, they have this decision in their mind. I want to quit and stop and go eat a donut, or I'm going to keep on running. They make that choice. I'm going to keep on running. And that's what says here. You've got to keep on running. How? Well, two things. First of all, if you're going to keep running, first thing you need to do is make sure you're running your course. Make sure the course that you're running is the course God's laid out before you. Right? Look at it again, verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Now, folks, your race is not my race. Right? And my race is not your race. I would probably fail and couldn't complete your race, and you probably couldn't complete my race. What, what race do we need to complete? The one that God's laid before you. That's the one you, you... So whenever you're running this race, make sure it's not your parents' race. Make sure it's not your spouse's race. Make, make sure it's not, you know, the devil's race. Make sure it's God's race that he's laid before you. Because that's the race you can complete. The, the problem with so many of us, we go after so many wrong directions from this world that we're not even running the race God wants us to race. And we wonder why we can't seem to complete this thing. 
One of um, football's um, classic events happened at the Rose Bowl. This guy named Roy Regals desperately wanted their team to win. They were tied and a critical moment in the game, and there's a fumble. Roy scoops up the loose ball, starts eluding tacklers and running as fast as he can. He's one of the fastest athletes on the field. He sprints for 70 yards and is then tackled one yard before the goal line. But he's tackled by one of his teammates. And the reason why is because in all the confusion, he ran the wrong way. He was about to score for the other team. And even though he had great athletic ability, he never outlived that debacle. And from that day forward, he was known as Roy Wrong Way Regals. So you can run with speed, you can run with power, you run with style, but if you're not running the right destination, you're going to fail. And so just, you need to always pray, God, I want to run your race. I don't want to run somebody else's race. I don't want to get off track here, because you just won't endure if you're trying to run somebody else's race. Um, second thing, if you're going to run with endurance, you need to do this. This is just an application principle. Start back where you've stopped. Right? I mean, because what happens is we're going and we're going good, and then we stop. It says run with endurance. That means don't stop. Um, one of the greatest missionaries of all time was Adoram Judson. And he was once asked, how did you accomplish so much in your life? He has a classic answer. He said, I can plod. Three simple words. I can plod. I can put one foot in front of the other every day, and I can keep making progress. You see, what happens to us is when we don't see immediate results, ah, quit, it's not making any difference. But, but the Bible says, no, just keep plodding. Maybe you're not running, just at least start walking. Don't quit, though. You see, the problem with a lot of us is we quit the very things that will help us endure, right? Like what? Well, I've put a few examples on your outline. Daily time with God. Used to be in the Word, ah, I ain't got time for that anymore. And you wonder why you're, you're quitting. Or a small group, I know it's important, but just don't have time. Or maybe it was an area of ministry or place of service, but now you're just sitting on the sidelines. Maybe it's your family or your marriage. You've literally just quit. You quit trying, what's the use? It ain't going to make any difference. Um, or maybe it's sharing your faith. You used to share your testimony, Right? But now you think, oh my goodness, it's, it's been years since I've actually shared my faith or shared my testimony. Or maybe it's tithing, giving to others. Well, I ain't got no money. Well, maybe because you're robbing from God. Or, or, you know, or forgiving those that hurt you. Well, they, they never change. It's not about them changing. It's about you watching God change your heart. Forgive them. See, wherever you stopped... Go back and start there and start doing that again and watch God empower you to finish the race. Whatever it may be, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's a job, maybe it's your faith. Go back and start plotting and just keep going and watch God empower you to move forward. I can plot. I can move one foot in front of the other. I can endure to the end. In 1986, New York Marathon had over 20,000 runners that entered the race. But it's remembered today because of the man who finished last. His name was Bob Weiland. Um, he completed the New York Marathon in four days, 
two hours and 47 minutes. It's the slowest marathon in history. Why is it significant? Take a look at this picture. Bob ran with his arms. 17 years earlier in Vietnam, his legs were blown off. And so Bob wore a 15-pound saddle and um, pads on his arms. And he literally just catapulted himself forward with his arms for a marathon. <laughs> That's um, why it's known today. Why? Because he endured. He didn't quit. We can do that. God will give us the strength to press on and endure. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, run with courage. People are cheering you on. Run light. Lay these things aside. Run with endurance. Don't quit. But then the final thing, and this is probably the most important thing, run with focus. Run with focus. You've got to put your focus in the right spot. Look at it, verse 2. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source or author, the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. There's so many distractions in this life. And what we've got to do is we've got to do keep our eyes. That, that Greek word for keep our eyes is only used this time in the entire Bible. And it's like having this focused attention, this almost hypnotic focus. I will not be distracted. I'm going to keep my focus on one place. What should you focus on? A couple things. Number one, jot this down. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. You know how you're going to finish your race? By focusing on Jesus, right? I love that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You remember that? Why don't we sing it together? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's a lot of truth in that song, isn't it? We've got to learn to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You go, well, how do you do that? Well, open up the word. Open up the gospels. Look at the life of Jesus. L listen to his teaching again. Look at his miracles. Look at his power. Look at his love. I mean, look at the cross. Look at what he endured. Maybe, I mean, we're heading into Easter. Maybe you need to rent the movie Passion of Christ again and just remind yourself what he endured for us. And so focus on Jesus, pray to Jesus, worship and praise Jesus, walk with Jesus, rebuke Satan in Jesus' name. Focus your mind on Jesus. He is the source. He's the perfecter of your faith. There is something that supernaturally happens in your soul when you put your focus on Jesus. That's what happens. He gives you the power to finish well. Why? He is the starter and he's the closer. He's the alpha and omega. He's the first. He's the last. He's the author of faith. He's the perfecter of your faith. Focus on Jesus. Okay? That's the first place. I've got to stay focused on Jesus. If I keep focusing on all the junk around me, I'll stop. But if I focus on Jesus, I'll finish. Final thing you do, what you focus on is this. You, you focus on the finish. You focus on the finish line. 
When I was in high school, I ran the 440. I'm not a marathon runner. A 440 is basically one time around the track, okay? And it's a sprint. You run as fast as you can. And I can remember the very first time I raced, and I was running, and I was ahead the entire time and went around the final corner. And I heard this guy approaching on my left. And just for a second, I turned and looked to see where he was. And just that little turn just distracted me enough and threw off the rhythm of my running that he caught up and he passed me. Just that little turn. Why? Because I didn't keep my eye on the prize. The way we learn from Jesus is that he kept his eye on the finish line. That's how he endured it. Look at it. These verses are amazing. Verse 2. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. I mean, imagine that for a second. Imagine the physical pain Jesus Christ had to endure. He was nearly beat to death. He was then made to carry his own cross through the streets of Jerusalem. And then they did what? They put nails in his hands and, you know, his feet. And they crucified him between heaven and earth. And, and, as, and as horrid, as even imaginable as all that, what was the greater weight on Jesus Christ was the fact that he carried our sins in that moment. For three hours on the cross when it was completely dark, he became sin. All of the weight and sin and suffering and hurt and pain and sorrow that you've ever carried in your entire life, it was placed on him in one moment. But it wasn't just you, it was all of humanity. Can you imagine that kind of weight? I can't. And yet... He endured the cross. I can just imagine when they were beating him, he was listening to his father's voice. You're my son whom I'm well pleased. When he put that crown of thorns on his head, he imagined one day I'm going to have a crown of glory. When they put nails in his hands, he just imagined one day these nails will dissolve and so will this cross and I will live in glory forever and forever. They will pass away, but I will not. And when the crowds were mocking him, I can just imagine him thinking, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I'm Lord. And here's Jesus Christ enduring something that none of us can even imagine, and yet he endured it. How? By looking beyond the cross. He didn't focus on the moment, didn't focus on his pain in that moment. What did he do? He looked beyond to the joy. It was Friday, but he knew Sunday was coming, right? That's what, how Jesus endured it. And it's the same way with you. If you focus on the present pain you're going through, you're going to get distracted, you're going to give up, you're going to quit. You need to look beyond. You need to look to your finish line. Because whenever you finish this race, you're going to run into the arms of Jesus himself. That's what the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. May that be our testimony as well. I love watching the Olympics. And um, Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics, several years back, during the Winter Olympics, you had um, Apollo Ono. You probably remember watching him. Incredible speed skater. I mean, won so many races, medals. Um, He was predicted to win another race. It was the men's 1,000-meter speed skating race. He was predicted to win and... um, Whenever they went around multiple times on the final lap, he was ahead. Right behind him was a Chinese um, racer. 
and then behind him was a Canadian, and just directly right behind him was a Korean, and then in fifth place was um, an Australian skater. They're going around this final lap, and as they're coming around, the Chinese skater just bumps into Apollo Ono, and immediately they just start, boom, they slide off. And whenever they slide off, Next thing you know, the two racers that were right behind them, they followed them as well. Here's the picture of all of them hitting, you know, the wall. See that? I love that picture. Apollo Ono, he saw that picture right there with him, his legs all spread out like that. He said, that picture will never be on the cover of a Wheaties box. Never will you find that picture there. It just won't be there. But an amazing thing is all those guys are on the ground. And the fifth place guy, the Australian speed skater, Go! <laughs> Why? Was he the fastest? Did he break any records? No. He didn't quit. He get, didn't get tangled up with everything that was around him. That's the same with you. You just got to finish the race. Finish the race that God's put before you. It's not how you start. It's not how many times you fall along the way. You got to finish the race. And if you'll finish the race of faith, you will run into the arms of Jesus one day. That's God's promise to us. So look to Jesus and finish the race. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.